Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know that some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whatever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. This is the August 20th episode. We're in 1 Samuel, Romans, and Jeremiah. So this was interesting. I'm pretty sure that this is, it's just so funny to go through the Bible two mm-hmm. years in a row and go like, I think, I don't think I noticed yep. this before, but maybe I did. <laughs> where it says that they fasted that day and there they confessed we have sinned against the Lord and Samuel judged the Israelites at Mizpah in chapter seven. I think seeing Ruth as a cross section of judges has helped me to see that first Samuel is a continuation of judges. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, right. Cause there's no King yet. So Samuel is like a judge prophet. Right. And I think what, what's interesting is it makes me wonder when, whether any of those main characters were judges because you know like it judges starts out the outline with he they cry out and they and then god raises up a judge and then they have success and like we didn't really see i mean i'm pretty sure samson was a judge Mm -hmm. even though he was a mess and didn't really seem to do anything good for israel and then i don't really know right those other characters that aren't listed they're just listed as people and what they did and what yes and And they just show it just getting worse and worse and worse and Mm -hmm. then i wonder whether like after samson whether the next judge is Samuel. Yeah, I don't know. You know, because they're crying out like it. God doesn't really raise Samuel up to be a judge until they fast that day and they confess. Because remember, like that's the that's the progression is that they turn back and they cry out to the Lord, and then God raises up a judge. Mm-hmm. And it's not like here we see they've finally cried out to the Lord, and they're asking for them. And and then chapter seven, Samuel's like, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, get rid of the foreign gods and the and only worship the Lord. So then Samuel, and then it says Samuel judged the Israelites at Mizpah. So it just makes me wonder whether that was that like progression and what, that's yeah. what led to Samuel becoming a judge. It's interesting because if I flip back to judges and obviously this is a, I'm reading a paraphrase, we've established mm-hmm. that, but <laughs> judges 16, when Sam, when it's talking about Samson, at the very end, it says he judged Israel for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like Samson's one, it's super clear that he's a judge. Then there are a few that are not clear. But then for me, in first Samuel, when it talks about Samuel doing this with the Israelites, it says that instead of saying that Samuel judged Israel, it says, so Samuel prepared the Israelites for holy war there at Mizpah. Mm -hmm. And he definitely is a prophet, right? Mm -hmm. Like Samuel's, well, there's that's the whole section in here when Saul comes to see the seer or the prophet. Yeah. Sometimes I almost feel like that prophet judge line is blurry. Like they kind of, they go together roles. Yeah. 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 They definitely go together. You see that for sure with Deborah, like mm-hmm. I think most of them, they show that they're both, which I think is why Samuel was so, and I, I don't remember whether this might've been last week or if that was this week, but where Samuel's so heartbroken, right? Because he's been raised up as a judge and now he's the one that they're like, we don't want, we don't want a judge anymore. We want a king. Want and, a king Samuel, yeah. and that makes sense kind of that God is like comforting him and saying, right. They're not, it's not you, you. It's me. Yes. Yep. 
but still how I, I think this is the first time that it kind of occurred to me how heartbreaking that would be for Samuel to be like, I'm the one, I'm the one that breaks the chain, like for whatever reason, like my calling is the one where they've decided I'm not good enough, you know, which is interesting when you think about the fact that Samuel was, he was not a bad judge. Like if you, like when we look at all those He's judges and judges, right. They're all train wrecks. Samuel is one who's genuinely following God and, yeah. and he's the one that the people don't want. It's yeah. kind of telling of where they were, the Israelites, yes. where their hearts were. And also it makes what God says even more, makes it make even more sense that they're not rejecting Samuel. They're rejecting God because Samuel was actually following God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's good. That's really good. It was in, one of the things that oh, was interesting he appointed to me. his sons judges over Israel in chapter eight. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel and they were train wrecks. That should have gone in the parenting study. His firstborn yes. son's name was Joel and his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned toward dishonest prophet, took bribes and perverted justice. Which was interesting to me when I read that, who was Samuel's father example? Eli and Eli's sons were total train wrecks. So if Samuel's like watching, I don't Eli know. Father, yeah. I mean, his, I think, I think Eli's sons were old and it doesn't like, I'm not saying you have to have a good example in order to parent well. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting that Samuel also, well, or maybe I, it's just an example of the fact that another example of how God uses us in spite of our train wreckness and that we don't have to have everything together in order for God to use us. Hi, this is Erin, and I'm glad that you're studying scripture with us here on The Recap. I wanted to let you know that while we take a break from dive studies in August, we are studying the parenting study that I wrote in May over on the network. Please come join us for that. You'll get the parenting study for free with an all-access pass, or you can purchase the study in the shop at divecollective.org. But you can come join us on the network for discussion at www.members.divecollective.org. Our Dive Genesis study will begin again in September with our study on Joseph. If you haven't joined us yet, we've been studying the book of Genesis in depth this year, starting with creation of Noah, then Abraham, and we just finished Jacob in July. You can catch those studies for free via podcast with a free community membership over on the network as well. I highly encourage you to join a live study though, through an all access pass. Those studies are far richer than you can imagine as your brothers and sisters bring their takeaways to the group each week. I can't wait to see you over in the network very soon. Now let's get back to the recap. And now I'm actually only just realizing now, I'm just realizing now that it was actually his sons that caused them to ask what he said. Look, so all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. So it was was Samuel's failure. Yeah, it was kind of Samuel's failure as a father that brought this. Right. They use that as one of their arguments for. that's That's so interesting. Yeah. So one of the other things. <clears throat> that I noticed in this whole king, people asking for a king is at the end of chapter eight. The people wouldn't listen to Samuel. No, we want a king to rule, rule us. Then we'll be just like all the other nations. And just how point all along was for Israel to be different. 
that they would be set apart and look different because they were God's people and God was using them to show the world himself. Mm -hmm. And so this is their whole failure that they, they don't want to be set apart anymore. They want to be just like everyone else mm-hmm. and how that like I mean as the church we're called to do the same thing like we're called to be different and mm-hmm. to be we're not supposed to look just like the world and that is not an easy thing mm-hmm. most of the time and Jesus is supposed to be our king mm-hmm. yeah that's so true that's so good and I think that's what we're going to see in Romans like the what mm-hmm. like their failure wasn't um, so much in asking for a king, their failure was in their lack of faith in God being who he said he was going to be and do yes. what he was going to do. Yes. And, uh, because when we look at it in Romans, it's still not like what I just said almost makes it sound like it's our responsibility right. on us to be different. But when we see Israel was called to be different because of who God was, not necessarily mm-hmm. because of like who they yes. were was a reflection of who God was. And it's the uh-huh. same for us. Like we yeah. are called to be different. But it's a spirit that does that by our faith. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And even our, the spirit gives us our faith. Romans is hard. I mean, I've never read, I don't, I think I just read such a big chunk of it with like a focused head. And I'm, I realize now that like Romans is so hard. Paul's brain is so stinking big and mine is so stinking small you know, it helps to have read the word and kind of know where he's getting things from mm-hmm. and to be able to look at the cross reference and go, okay, that's from Isaiah. And I kind of have mm-hmm. some framework for all of it, but even still Paul's head is so big that when I read Romans, I find that sometimes I zone out because it's like, yes, it's hard to read it in big chunks. Well, but just because, yeah, because it's hard to under, it's so hard to understand. However, and it's drinking through a fire hose. It's a lot. At yes. Once. Yeah. But I'm, as I'm reading through it, I'm like, you can't like, you can't start at Romans eight, one. You just mm-hmm. can't. Like if you start mm-hmm. at Romans eight, one, you miss what that whole, what it's, con- what it's contrasting with and like what, yeah. And so the end of seven is the one where you're like, oh my gosh, yes. he's saying there's no condemnation yes. because right above that, he's saying, woe is me. I'm an, I'm a nightmare. Like I am yeah. a wretch. And then it's like, and then it's like, but this, mm-hmm. and then, so then it's like, so now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I've loved that. That was the very first verse that somebody spoke to me that like pierced my heart and then brought me to a Lord, a Lord and savior relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. But like that verse, looking at it now in Romans, like I said, like it is like drinking from a fire hose, but at the same time, like you have to stay engaged because if you yeah. disengage, and you start separating one thought <clears throat> from another, you miss the point. And I yeah, you only get a little snippet. That's see, that's one of the things I love about Romans and Paul is the way he builds his arguments. Like he's so yes. logical. And so, and like I I feel like we should maybe even just skip to Romans. Yes. I don't know that I Let's have a lot it. to say about Jeremiah this week. Yeah. Um so I wasn't sure. I remember talking about this last year. When I decided to read through the message, I was like, oh, Roman's going to be the worst in the message because I like the like technical. Yes. I like to be able to, I want to read it how we wrote it because mm-hmm. I like that technical side, but man, Romans in the message is phenomenal. And <laughs> yes. partly because, partly because it's like what you were saying about like, it's just so much and your, your mind wanders sometimes when mm-hmm. you're reading. I haven't felt that reading the message because it's so readable, mm-hmm. but like the, like listening to Paul establish his argument and just build on it as he goes. And then even just the way that he 
anticipates the question. Yes. I forget what chapter. It might oh, have when been he's talking this. about um, oh, election. Oh, and I know you're going to say this next. Election. Right. Oh, my gosh. I think it yes. might be eight. And he's I was like, like I yes, know this that is, is exactly what, what I'm going to say. <laughs> right. And here's my argument. And now you're going to say this. And here's my argument. Like, I, yes. I read Romans in the message in big chunks. I started reading it this week, chapter by chapter, and then I ended up reading like maybe three or four chapters together. And man, it's so good. But if we're in Romans, we should probably start at the beginning. Yes. Romans four is all like Paul is establishing this argument about grace and salvation on the basis of Abraham and the Mm. promise. And reading that after we've been doing Genesis this year, and we've been talking so much about Abraham and all, like knowing all of the little facts and intricacies about how that story unfolded. And then reading Paul, Mm -hmm. like interpret that through Jesus. It was just so good. And I mean, there's more in there aside just from Abraham, but I will, if you're listening and you did Genesis, go and read Romans four in the message. It, oh my gosh. Not just Romans four. If you did Genesis, then also read the yeah. Jacob, the, where he talks about Jacob, Jacob and, and his sons and five is going. Adam and establish like how sin comes from Adam. I mean, there's a lot. In but I, like I felt like I got so much clarity about Jacob's because you, you do like, as we were studying Jacob and Esau, we're like. Paul says like before they were even born, God said the older will serve the younger. And basically Paul's like, and you don't get to ask questions. Right. That's a nine, God, right? Yeah. Cause God chooses and he yes, makes decisions God gets- and it's for his glory. And mm-hmm. you just have to, you just have to accept it that like there Who are some, in- go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, this is what it, this is the message when in the midst of all that, he says, who in the world do you think you are to second guess God? Yeah. Do you for one moment suppose any of us knows enough to call God into question? And that right there, like Job. Yes. <laughs> Who do you think you are? I mean, yeah. yes, in our it doesn't seem fair to us when we read that God chose Jacob before Esau when they were still in the womb. That seems mean or or just not it just doesn't seem fair. And yet yeah. God's like, I am God. Yes. And just like we're saying here, we're going, oh, that makes me think of Job. That's exactly what Paul is doing in all of these places. He's, mm-hmm. he's like making his point and he was saying, just like I, he did with Jacob and Esau, he did this. And he goes, and, and just like he said to Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And just like he said about Pharaoh, I raised you up for this reason so that I may display my power in you and that my name may be proclaimed in the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he has mercy. He wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. You will say to me, therefore, why then does he still find fault for who can resist his will? But who are you a mere man to talk back to God? That's what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But just like, you're going like, oh my gosh, that makes me think that question makes me think of Job. Like Paul's doing the same thing. He was like, this, this, this part of God makes me think of Jacob and Esau. This part makes me think of what he said to Moses. This Mm -hmm. part makes me think of like, he's doing exactly what we're doing. As we know the word, we go, oh, that question is exactly the question that Job asked, Mm -hmm. you know, or or that's the statement that God just made to Job Mm -hmm. a little bit ago. It's just, and we get to do it through, like we have Jesus, Jesus is not a new thing. So for us to do it through that lens of Christ is more natural. Paul's doing this. It's brand new. Like they don't, yeah, he, what he, but he yeah. knew the word better than anybody. Right. So with right. the Holy Spirit, he's like, oh my gosh, 
this is like, like, that's, what's so cool about this letter too, is like Paul with the Holy spirit is going all of these, he's like pulling all of these words, like out of context, but he knows them in context. So he's using mm-hmm. them appropriately. Like even from Deuteronomy, he says, the message is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Like he's literally taking a, a, a passage that was about the law, but it was actually not, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I could go on and on, no, but that I message that was about the law, he's actually saying like, the one who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven. That is to bring Christ down. That who will go up to heaven is from that same passage in Deuteronomy. And he says, that is to bring Christ down. So again, he's doing it through the lens of Christ or who will go down into the abyss. That's to bring Christ up from the dead. Again, he's pulling from the old Testament and the law mm-hmm. to put, put a lens of Christ on it. And then he says, on the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. And he, now he interprets it for them because, because that was a message that was given to them when God says, um, God says to them, or Moses says, choose now, choose now I'm laying before you life and death, life and death. choose life. And in that he says, the message is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. One believes with his heart resulting in righteousness. One confesses with his mouth resulting in salvation. He's like, this is life. This is the message Mm -hmm. that's in your heart and in your mouth. Like this is, I mean, just he's brilliant. He's aggravatingly brilliant. Yeah. But this is, you're right. Like this is the spirit that he's put in us. And so as we know the word in the old Testament, we're doing the same thing. We're living out that mm-hmm. same message going, when God said this, he meant this because mm-hmm. of Jesus. Cause now we can look in retrospect, just like mm-hmm. now I won't ever do it as well as Paul does. I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a roll and I totally feel like I've talked over you, but no, I don't know where to start. I have so much, <laughs> I have so much written in this week in Romans that I'm like, I don't, I feel like I don't even just go read it. But then like Person at the end seizing. of seven, mm-hmm. This is what you were saying about how, like, if you just read it in little chunks, sometimes you miss his, you miss the argument, the building on the argument. So at the end, he's, then he's asking these questions about like, um, he's saying that whole idea of what I do, what I want, I do what I don't want to do and what I want to do, I don't do like, yes. Um, yep. And I've heard that out of context way too many times because this time I was like, Oh my gosh. Right. And he says, so at the end, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, I'm in 25. I don't know how different this Mm -hmm. sounds. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. So that's the end of chapter seven, mm-hmm. but then, and I'm reading that and I'm like, well, it's the spirit. You, like mm-hmm. I'm reading that. And that's exactly what he goes into mm-hmm. at the beginning of chapter eight, that with Jesus, with the arrival of Jesus, when, um, the law of the spirit of life yes, in Christ, spirit of life in Christ, Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's so I feel like as I was reading seven and eight, I just wanted to like get up on my feet and start clapping. I was like, yes, yeah. Like everything that the spirit has been working in me lately about like coming to rest. That's all what this chapter is about. I can't you see that word right there. Rest. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like this is what Paul's argument is, is that like your flesh 
is tied, like the law and your flesh is all tied up together to bring you to a place where you know that you cannot be anything mm-hmm. different than, than who you are. And so the spirit, if you surrender to it, the spirit does its work in you to make you all with your flesh, all wrapped in it, in it to make your flesh surrendered to the work of Christ that does yes. sanctifying work does in it. us. Like this seven and chapter seven and eight is yeah. exactly what we've been talking about. It yeah. is. So when Paul says, what a wretched man I am, and I circled that, and then I circled, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those are two different, those are two sentences, or they're they're kind of like three or four verses apart, but yeah. they're, they're immediately related to each other. Yes. Going, I'm a wretched man. No, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because mm-hmm. in Christ Jesus, all of that sin is wrapped up in his sacrifice, and the spirit of God is in us to bring forth life. Yeah. And only the spirit of God can bring forth. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to read this. This is where I have written that whole resting idea in chapter eight, starting in verse three, God went for the jugular when he sent his own son, he didn't deal with the problem. Okay. This I love because this is like a personal God. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant in his son, Jesus. He personally took on the human condition entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code weakened as it always was by fractured human nature could never have done that. The law ended up being used as a bandaid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the spirit is doing in us. Yes. Yes. So good. Yes. Yes. And I feel like lately my prayer has just been like, Lord, I just want to spend the rest of my life here. And I feel like it'll be a constant. It's not that there won't be suffering involved in it, but I do feel like this is like a life changing realization. It's like a, I mean, that's the way revelation works, right? Like once something's revealed to you and I feel like this has been a full revelation because it's been so sticky in so, in so many circumstances, but like, that's where, okay. So, so last night our church leadership team got together for a hard meeting that like, we needed God to show up for, for it to go well. I can speak for myself, but I, in speaking for myself, I can speak for every other person that was present. Like we brought ourselves to that as an, in it, I mean, we lived Romans 12, where it says in light of what he's saying in, in, in eight, that we are nothing, but in the spirit, like the spirit makes us alive and gives us any ability to glorify God whatsoever. So then in chapter 12, where it talks about, so then brothers and sisters in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. When I walked away from that hard meeting and every single one of my brothers and sisters had just brought who they were to that, their sacrificial act of worship in bringing themselves to that meeting, you just walked, like I walked away so full of life, like going, I didn't do anything. All I did was I brought myself and God did this amazing work in it. And it's, it was just such a, it felt like such a moment of worship to just like bring myself to a place and see what he could do with the gifts that he's given me and that he's put in me and equipped me with. 
And like, there's not a single part of me that can take any credit for it. It just feels like I just felt so alive afterwards. Cause it was just, there's something about living faithful with who you are as your life, like literally just laying out your life and going, this is, this is who I am. This is all I have to offer. And then when everybody else around you is doing it and you're seeing like what they bring to the table and you're like, Lord, this is too much. Like, it's just too Mm -hmm. much. It's mind bendingly beautiful. And Christ is just in your midst. And you're like, this is the body of Christ. I get it. Like Mm -hmm. I, I get it when we're all going, Hey, we're screw ups. Like, well, that's okay. So I was just going to say, I think one of the reasons before you even were able to see, like you're, you're talking about bringing like the gifts that God's given each of you individually to the table and watching him work. But before you even did that, you brought your mess. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, like, yeah, you can, you can recognize that God's gifted us we can recognize like we don't have to be ashamed of the stuff of our flaws. We don't have to be ashamed of the ways that we fail and the ways that we fall. We just can own that and be like, yeah, yep. That's my flesh. Like that's all, that's all wrapped up in this. And then like from there, then you go, then you move forward and that that's it. There's a humility in that. And the, and the humility and that's, that's in there too. Like if you read chapters, chapter 12, do not be proud instead this week. No crap. We stopped at 10. Oh, I, I think I read, well, so I'm, this is, goes back know, to the trouble that I'm church. having because yes. that, yes, we'll read chapter 12 for church on Sunday. So people at church that are listening to this, they'll have some recap from 12, but anyway, that's like, even in, in 12 verse um, 16, like you're saying, it says live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It just was such a, like, I just was, I just witnessed Romans 12 mm-hmm. and, and it's Romans 12 in relation, like in relationship with people who are all living out Romans seven and eight, you know, mm-hmm. we're comfortable in our flesh because we know the spirit is alive in us. It's so cool. Along with what you were just saying about living in that you saw Romans 12 play out because people that, because of a group of people that was living out Romans seven and eight. Yeah. So there were a couple of times in this reading this week that Paul specifically points out that what God did when he raised Jesus from the dead is exactly what he's done in us. Like that's the same thing mm-hmm. in, in Romans eight. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. And then in 10, it's talking about us embracing body and soul, God's work of doing in us what he did in raising Jesus from the dead. That's it. You're not doing anything. You're simply calling out to God and trusting him to do it for you. And that is mind blowing. I yeah. think when you sit with like, it's not just that one thing though. It's all the things that we've talked about, like the fact that then we have the spirit, but that yeah. whole idea of death to life, Jesus was this physical example of what God does in people that trust him, like just yeah. trust him like dead to life. <laughs> dead to life yes that's the recap see you next week thanks for listening to the recap 
If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth Bible studies where we model our version of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org and we will see you next week.